want to welcome you to the Manifest Telecast today, and I want to share with you one of the most unique prophetic messages that we've had in quite some time, very, very intriguing, from the book of Revelation. Now, before we get into the subject matter, I want to share two things with you. Number one is this, that in the Bible, the apocalyptic scriptures or the apocalyptic books, which include the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, portions of the book of Zechariah, will use what's called prophetic symbolism. Now, prophetic symbolism is often used in the form of different creatures or different types of animals. Daniel uh, and also uh, the book of Revelation plays off of the visions of the book of Daniel. He talks about a bear and a leopard and a lion, which represents Babylon, Media, Persia, and Greece. Uh, that is also found with the very last kingdom, the very last empire that will rule, that he is a combination of a bear, a leopard, and a lion all put together in one. And that's in the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. However, something very strange about two passages in Revelation. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a moment, because this, this, is, really, this is really quite funny. Um, when, you, when, when people take the book of Revelation and they begin to read certain passages and they begin to look at symbolism, they say, what in the world is this talking about? And most of the time, if we go to the book of Revelation called the Apocalypse in Greek, and you compare it to the book of Daniel, you start getting what the interpretation actually is. But there are two places where you don't get a specific interpretation. Now, it tells you what, it's, what is happening, and I'm going to give you those. One is Revelation chapter 9, the locusts that come out of the pit. Now, there is a message called the Pazuzu Spirit. That is the most unusual prophetic message I've given in my 46 years of ministry on the manifest telecast. You can go back and look that up and you've got to watch this because I'm going to show you something that was discovered uh, in the Middle East that is a museum piece and tie it in with that, that Revelation 19. Then if you go to the verse I'm about to read, which is in the book of Revelation chapter 16, 13 through 14, this is the second passage, which is very difficult to understand. And we're, but we're going to give you an explanation from history that most ministers who've preached prophecy, to my knowledge, <clears throat> have never gotten into. So you're about to hear something fresh and new today on Manifest. Here we go. Here's the verse. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day. The battle of that great day refers to Revelation 16, 16, two verses later, the battle of Armageddon. Now, before I get into the frogs, let me get into the setting of the book of Revelation itself. It's important you understand this. Roman emperors began to take over the Roman Empire that became known as the Roman Republic and later it became known as the Roman Empire. And I may have that in reverse, but it's the same. And these emperors begin with, uh, for example, Julius Caesar, and they go all the way through up till uh, the uh, uh, fourth century. And let me tell you about this one called Nero. Nero was a Roman emperor that came to power when he was 17 years of age and he ruled from 54 AD till he committed suicide in 68 AD. Now he was the 
emperor that brought some of the greatest, or should I say the first major persecution against the Christian faith. As a matter of fact, it is believed by historians that Peter ended up in Rome and he was slain there under Nero. And also that Paul, we know for a fact, was beheaded under Emperor Nero. Uh, many of you know the story of how Nero set a fire to Circus Maximus, which was the center of all of the shops. And he burnt about seven eighths of it down, burned for six days, actually. He blamed the Christians. And Paul being the head apostle there in Rome, he put the blame on Paul. And that's what actually led to the beheading of Paul in, in Rome. Now, somewhere around um, the year um, 68 AD, June the 9th, let me get the exact date. Nero was in trouble because of setting the fire. The Senate had turned against him, and so he committed suicide. Now, what is interesting about this suicide of Nero, now all this comes into this idea about the three frogs. So you're probably saying, get to the frogs. No, you, got, you have to understand the history first and lay a foundation for this. So here is Nero, who has arrested Christians, beheaded Christians, persecuted Christians, put them on crosses, set them on fire, uh, had them fed to the wild beast in the arenas just for sport and just for show. So he commits suicide on June the 9th, in the year 68 AD, after a 13 year of reign, and the latter part of that reign was just absolute pure terror for a majority of the Christians. Now here's where the story gets interesting and I don't want you to miss this whatsoever. When Nero was killed, there was a theory that started in the early church after the death of Nero called Nero revived. There was actually another Latin term for it, but translated to English, it means Nero revived. They began to believe, many people did at least, that Nero would come back from hell and he would come back in the form of the Antichrist. And there were people that believed that they were very near the tribulation and the rise of the Antichrist and the return of Nero. Now, what's odd is that this theory existed in the first, second part of the third century. And several of your early church fathers write about this in some of their writings. So let's take a look at something here. Revelation 13 and 3 says that there would be a beast that would have a deadly wound to the head and that wound would be healed. Now, some suggested that the wound to the head was Nero's suicide and that that beast who was Nero would be healed and come back again based on Revelation 13, 3 and 4, right in, right in those particular passages. And then we had a situation in Revelation 17, 18, I say a situation of verse, which was written that the beast that was and is not and yet shall be. Now they said, well, Nero was, he existed, he is not. This is when the book of Revelation was written, but he shall come again. This is, now this is not what the Bible teaches. This was interpretation by some of the bishops in the time of the early church, because when they wrote this, a lot of great serious persecution was breaking out against Christians and some of them thought they were actually they were actually in the tribulation. So it says that the beast would come out of the abyss or the bottomless pit and would come back again and rule. Now what that referred to was an empire of prophecy that was dead, that existed, that was not, but would be. And in my opinion, it's the old Babylonian empire of which consists of Syria. There's the map over here somewhere, Syria, Iraq and Iran. That is the territory where the, the beast, or we call the Antichrist, will come in the future. Now, 
having said that, I want you to follow me here because this is very, very significant of what we're about to talk about. This gets into the three fog, three frog prophecy. Let's show them the three fog prophecy in Revelation chapter 16. We know that there's a bear, a leopard, and a lion in Daniel that represents Babylon, Media, Persia, and Greece, but is there any reference to a frog representing an empire? The answer is no. Is there any reference to a frog representing a person? The answer is no. But so you go to history and say, okay, where does the idea of a frog connect with what John saw in the book of Revelation? And the answer is very bizarre. First of all, a frog was a god that was worshipped in ancient Egypt all the way back in the time of Moses when the Exodus began to take place. The frog god represented fertility, but it also represented sexual disregard for restraints, especially any form of sexual restraint. So that's what it represented among the Egyptians as a god. However, there is a three frog story that is connected, believe it or not, with what's called the Nero legend. Now, notice that in the book of Revelation, these three frogs and these, these now let me say what they are. They're actually spirits, spirits of demons. And I know this is a very bizarre, strange verse. Most preachers don't even touch this. I don't know why I'm the guy that has to preach the stuff that nobody else seems to preach, but some of you seem to appreciate that. So we're go, we'll go with the people that appreciate the teaching and Teach it to them, I guess. But when you talk about the frogs, there is the dragon, there is the beast, and there is the false prophet. So there's three different people, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Now the dragon in Revelation chapter 12 is none other than a symbol for Satan himself. It actually, the Greek word there is a keen-eyed serpent, a serpent that can see very clearly with its eyes. So dra dragon there in Greek refers to a serpent. The serpent in Revelation 12 is that old serpent called the devil. So we have the we have Satan represented there by the dragon and the dragon has seven heads and ten horns. Those are prince spirits and empires of prophecy. I'm trying to abbreviate this. It gets very complicated. Then you have the beast himself. So the dragon is Satan and his representatives in the tribulation, demonic representatives. And then we have what is called the beast and the beast has seven heads and ten horns. Ten horns are the last ten kings that rule uh, during the tribulation period with the Antichrist. They're identified as the ten toes in Daniel chapter 2 on that metallic image. The very end of days, the very last of days, ten kings. And there are actually ten nations that ten kings rule, more than just ten kings. And then they are identified as the ten horns in the book of Daniel and also the book of Revelation. Horns represent authority. And of course, these will be ten nations predominantly in Europe and the Middle East that will align themselves with the Antichrist actually per, for preservation purposes because he is going to make war and no one's going to be able to make war against this person when he rises to power. Now, if you look at this, it says that these spirits go into the mouth and I don't want to get, uh, I don't want to get into something weird or strange here, but demons, when they possess a person, they enter and exit through the mouth. And there's an actual personal family story I could tell that would take way too much time to talk about that. So anyway, uh, and I know I just opened up a can of worms and you know, you, I'm gonna get a thousand questions on teach on that. Maybe one day I will, but again, I, I kind of like to sometimes get into these things that nobody else likes to talk about. Here is what's interesting. A demon spirit goes into the mouth of the dragon and his leaders and into the mouth of the beast and his leaders 
and into the mouth of the false prophet himself. And the mouth is interesting because in Daniel and Revelation, it makes it very clear that whoever the Antichrist is, he, quote, speaks blasphemies. Revelation 13, 5 says things against the most high God. That's in Daniel 7. Speaking speaks bold things. Daniel 7, verse 8. So the power of the Antichrist is going to be through his ability to speak in what he says. And uh, he will be very crafty with his words. And it will be done through the spirits that are alluded to in Revelation chapter 16. Now, this story of Nero was written by an archbishop in the year 1275. Nero wanted to kill his mother for having given him birth. But here's what it says. The physician and masters blamed him and said he should not slay his mother that had borne him in sorrow and pain. Then he said, make me with and after to be delivered that I may know the pain my mother suffered. Which by craft, they gave him a young frog to drink and it grew in its belly. And then he said, but if you make me to be delivered, I shall slay you all. And so they gave him such a drink that he had a vomit and cast out. He had to vomit and cast out the frog and they bear him on his hand that because that he abode not uh, his time. It was misshapen, which yet he made to be kept. Now, I know that last part sounds very confusing. So basically, when Nero vomited this frog up, it was, uh, you know, deformed and he did not want to destroy it, but he had it to be kept. Now, what I'm about to tell you is totally bizarre and shows you uh, a complete sociopath. Okay, Nero ordered that the frog be kept as his heir at his palace in something he called the Hidden Frog Basilica. After his suicide on June the 9th in 68 AD, Romans found, and these are people searching through the palace, found the frog and threw it out of the city and burned it. Here's the point. This happened in 68 AD where it all came to a climax about this weird frog that when it got in its belly, ended up being deformed, vomiting it out, etc., and it came in and out of the mouth. The book of Revelation was written in the year 95 AD, or let's say approximately that time. 68 to 95 is about 27 years. The story of the frog basilica and the frog coming out of Nero's mouth and going into him would have been known by anyone who knew the story of Nero or had lived under him. Example, John, the author of the book of Revelation, he lived under the, the rule of Nero. He actually, when Nero died, Domitian came to be emperor. And Domitian is the one that exiled the apostle John to the Isle of Patmos, I believe, hoping he would die. And he would have known about that, that frog story. And he didn't write this, Revelation 16, based on that, but the people of his day would have known the story and realized that it represented the evil of Nero. Nero was a picture of the Antichrist and how there was a frog that came in and out of his mouth. That's the point. They would have known that. So when they read this, they would have, hmm, it would have kind of clicked in their mind and referred it back to Nero. And of course, that may have given a little bit more ammunition to the first and second century of people believing Nero would be revived, come out of the pit, and he would be the Antichrist. Now, I do not believe that. There are some great scholars that believe that. I believe the Antichrist will be a man because you'd have to bring 
Nero back from the dead, resurrect him again and kill him again. And that's, that's, that gets into all these non-biblical complications. Daniel 7 and 8. I was considering the horns and there was no little horn, a little one coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And there in this horn were the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words or great words, the King James says. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 20. And the ten horns that, that were in its head, this is the beast now, this is the Antichrist system, and the other horn which came up, before which three fell, namely that horn that had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. Now here again, my emphasis is the words being spoken out of the mouth of the beast, which is a, a term used for the Antichrist and his system. In Revelation 13, 5 through 6, there was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy and power was given to him to continue for 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and watch this, and them that dwell in heaven. Who do you think's dwelling in heaven by Revelation 13 that the Antichrist is cursing? It's the saints who have been called up to meet the Lord because in Revelation 11, we are at the Bema and the judgment seat and by mid-trib in Revelation 13, the Antichrist comes to power. So that's the setting in the context of what's being said here. Let me talk about a frog for a minute, a frog spirit, not the spirit of a little frog, but just as certain symbolism represents empires, notice how an evil spirit is compared to a frog. Number one, frogs live in dirty water uh, most of the time or can live in dirty, dirty water. And the Holy Spirit, of course, is compared to living water or pure water. So the frogs or spirits live around dirty things. Number two, they make a lot of noise that disrupts, disrupts peaceful sleep at night. I've actually been around areas where there were a lot of frogs and they just croak all night long. And unless it, it's a sound that can put you to sleep, it will disrupt your sleep. At night, they can hinder your sleep. When exposed, when you expose a frog, they jump around trying to hide. <laughs> Ooh, I'm thinking of some people right now. You can hear them croaking, but you don't always see them. You know, we have a pool in the backyard and I remember one time hearing a frog and it was driving me nuts. I'd walk around, I'd look, where is he at? You can't find him. He's not, of course, in the water because I have a saltwater pool. They die if they get in the saltwater eventually. And this, it must have been a big one. He was a rawr, 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 all day, I mean, all, especially at night, man, they come out, come out there. But we were looking for him during the day and we couldn't find that rascal. So think about evil spirits. They live among, in filth, filthiness of the flesh, flesh or the filthiness of the spirit. They use people's mouth to make a lot of noise to try to disrupt or distract you. They can, what, what happens when that noise comes, it can hinder your sleep and your rest. When you go to expose them, they run and try to hide and uh, jump to another place. And number five, you can hear them croaking or saying their wickedness or their uh, slander or assaults, but you don't always see them because they try to conceal themselves. Don't use my name. Don't say it was me. Bah, 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 bah. Frog spirits. These are the spirits. Uh, uh, this is an unclean spirit represented. So there again, we see a strange symbolism in the Bible, a frog. We see how the characteristics of that creature can, can compare to the activity that an actual evil spirit does. Now, don't get me wrong. Frogs are not demons. Frogs are not evil spirits. It's a symbol. Somebody was thinking that just now. It's a symbol that's in the Bible. But the key is the mouth. 
And when the Antichrist comes and the false prophet comes, they will say things and create counterfeit miracles like calling fire out of heaven and all sorts of things to deceive the entire world. They will deceive them with the words of their mouth. And I think one of the greatest things that the body of Christ has to be aware of is the mouth of other people and do not getting caught up in the mouth of someone, excuse me while I say this, that has a frog spirit, an unclean spirit working in their mouth. And I, I could actually preach a whole nother message on those types of spirits using the tongue and using the mouth to attack and disrupt, to try to discredit and to harm. And of course, you know, God's going to judge the frogs. God's going to judge the spirits and God's going to judge the, the people the, whom the frog works through, the, the, the frog spirit, I should say. Now, I hope you, don't, you understand what I'm saying and you didn't get too confused on that last part. But uh, I've got something special to share with you. Do not go away. I'll be back in a moment. My new book titled The Visions contains specific details of visions and revelations involving future, both national and international events, from visions and encounters that I have recorded in my private journal. I've waited for the right prophetic season to disclose these warnings and events. God's Word states that if spiritual watchmen do not warn the people of the danger they see coming, the watchmen will be held accountable for what happens to the people. After experiencing much inner conviction in my soul, I sensed it was the right time to pen what I and others have seen. Much of this book covers warning visions explaining what is coming and how to prepare. I've divided the visions into what was, what is, and what is to come. Here are some of the subjects I will cover in the book. Learn the four different types of spiritual visions. I explain ancient oracles exposing how leaders attempted to see the future. Visions of cities burning both present and future, including New York City. My father's vision of a planned East Coast nuclear attack. Also, my recent visions concerning cremation ovens. I experienced a vision of a frightening assault on a public school that I want to share with you. I have for many years experienced tsunami visions and I've decided to release that information and include the locations that I have seen in those visions. There is a vision of a nuclear power plant that initiates a stock market crash. There's a vision of empty cities and empty streets that I believe is linked to the recent pandemic and possibly another pandemic coming. The vision of the 10 mile radius bioweapons attack on London, England. And also I've seen in three different visions, a strong earthquake impacting the Midwest, especially the St. Louis area. I also talk about the strange vision of three tornadoes that I believe cost Hillary Clinton her political future. I share a vision revealing future attacks on individual Christians and churches. I also talk about when political leaders and their administrations lose divine favor with God. I have a section where I talk about 2024 and beyond, and I've included what I believe to be an interesting historical parallel about a possible Trump second term, the coming revival through the lens of a camera. One of my favorite chapters that's gonna be very helpful to you is this, 10 rules and wisdom principles for surviving and thriving at the end. The book also has important instructions for the reader to follow. When you order this new book, I'm also including my two audio CD teaching, The Battle of the Two Marks, which exposes the future mark of the beast and explains the mystery of the seal of God, both which are alluded to in the book of Revelation. Get the new book in the audio CD now for your donation of $35 or more. Ask for offer VS 141. 
You can order at perrystone.org or by calling toll-free 1-888-21-BREAD or mail your order to Perry Stone, P.O. Box 3595, Cleveland, Tennessee, 37320. I hope every prophetic student, intercessor, and those interested to know what is ahead will take time to order this new spiritual resource. I've written this in the fear of the Lord, but I believe it's now the time to release the messages. A remnant is now waking up and preparing. What about you? So many people have been contacting us and telling us that this book on the visions may be the most interesting book out of the hundred, uh, over a hundred books that I have written since I was 18 years of age. Uh, these visions are very important, very significant, and we do believe that we're on the precipice of several of them coming to pass in the next few months or within the next year. I hope that you get the book and also you can get the, out, the audio CD, The Coming Battle of the Two Marks. Now also let me just mention that the American Apocalyptic Reset is still available. We still have some copies available. If you have not received this book or ordered it, you may do so. And I always want to remind you why it's important. If you've ever noticed, our ministry does not send out letters asking for finances. One time in 46 years, I sent out a letter to the mailing list because we had an emergency for to purchase a building. But what we do is we pray and we believe the Lord. We believe that if we preach the gospel, if we feed the people, that they will happily support the work that we're doing around the world. So I do appreciate you that are partnering with us. We have a great partners program. One is called Monthly Manna, where you receive an audio message each month. And the other is called the Partner Strike Force, which is a higher level, which has its own Facebook page, which has updates by video, and has so many other benefits, including devotionals and things of that nature. So if you will contact perrystone.org or call our office, at uh, Voice of Evangelism in Cleveland, Tennessee. We only have one office and one number anywhere in the world. It's here in Cleveland. We will tell you how you can partner with the ministry. But don't forget our summit, which is coming up in the month of June, and also some of the uh, events that's going to be happening in July and August. And we're going to be picking up our schedule uh, later on in the summer and the fall. God bless all of you for watching. Thank you. See you next week on Manifest. Make plans to attend the 2022 International Prophetic Summit, June 23rd through 26th at Omega Center International in Cleveland, Tennessee. Come hear the latest prophecy updates from Jonathan Kahn, Kurt Landry, Mark Biltz, Bill Cloud, and Perry Stone. This huge event kicks off Thursday night and continues all day Friday and Saturday, concluding in a doubleheader with Bill and Perry on Sunday morning. There is no fee to attend, but you must register online at perrystone.org, where you will also find information on hotels in the area. Seating is limited, so sign up today. Don't miss fresh insights and exciting new prophetic revelation, as each speaker proves that we are living in the end of the age and headed toward a date with destiny, including the return of the Messiah. The 2022 Prophetic Summit. Register now. Perry Stone invites you to join him for his 2022 Israel tour. The dates are November 20th through the 29th, with an optional visit to Petra in the country of Jordan. Call 1-888-321-3629 or visit perrystone.org for more information and how to register. Seating is limited, so call today.